I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we can possibly... Yeah, I'll be cool with that. Let's do it. Okay. All right, perfect. I'll, I'll turn the music off. There we go. All right, we're all set. How you guys doing? Doing great. Does anybody have any questions from last week that they want to discuss before we start? Hmm. Nobody? Anything that they didn't understand and they need me to explain? Mm, I'm checking the chat. It doesn't look like we have anything at the moment. Um, But definitely feel free to unmute yourself if you ever do have anything that comes up. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's get today's class going. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the um, third slide. Nigel, are you there? Can we go to it? Okay, so let's, let's get into credit. I know we talked about it a little bit at last class, but let's, let's get back into it. So the beautiful thing that I said about credit is it's in its definition. The ability to obtain goods or services before payment, before payment based on the trust that payment will be made in the future. So what does that mean to you? How is that something good? Can anybody answer that? How is that a good thing that you can obtain a good or service? Like I have this phone in my hand. I can put this on my credit card and have full use of it and not make a payment for 30 days. How is that a good thing? Why is that a good thing? I think uh, a business perspective. Uh, maybe it'll be good because it's not money that's coming out of your pocket at that very moment. Absolutely. And how is that good? And like, it, it could be good because you may not have the money all the time to pay for it, but the credit may be, you may be credible to, to pay for things so you can have the money in your credit to pay for it. 
Okay, let's think of, I, I, you're, you're on the right track. Let's just think of it from a wealth perspective, because this course is about teaching generational wealth and building wealth. So think about it from a wealth perspective and the rich, as the Elon Musk, the, the Jeff Bezos, the LeBron James, they, they know and manage how to leverage how to use credit. Now, how from a wealth perspective is it good to have this ability to get something and not have to pay for it for a minimum of 30 days? How can you leverage that and make that work for you as far as building wealth? To save money. To save money is one. But it gets into the game of what I was talking about, what I've been saying a lot and what Jeff and Nigel and Ramon and I all emphasize about, you know, using other people's money to make money. So how can this, how can credit allow you to use other people's money to make money? Let's not all speak up at one time, y'all. Just take your time and, you know. I'm going to use, I think, Chanel, you're on, you're on this call, right? I'm going to use Chanel as an example quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, not to put her business on the street, but, she, you know, one of her goals is to open up her own gym, okay, which I think is a great, is a great goal. Um, now, let's just say she was doing this business on a cash and carry type situation where that all the bills that were due, which would be like the rental of the place, the, probably the lease on the equipment, probably like, um, I don't know what else goes into a gym, but there's a lot of expense that goes in the, the, the electric bill, the water bill. Imagine she was using all of that before she got her membership dues and she was using just money. She was doing a cash and carry, paying everything out of her pocket, not leveraging credit. The likelihood of being able to carry that would be tough. You know, even getting the business started, we go back, and I think I've given the example in other classes, like where um, my son's mother at the time, she wanted to open a salon. I'm going to switch because <laughs> I can relate to this one where she was able to open a salon way ahead, years ahead where she thought she'd actually be able to own her salon by leveraging credit, by using credit. Um, so it, it allowed her to be able to like get a zero interest credit card, for example, and put all of the expenses and building out that store on the credit card. So, so it was a balance of like, I think the bill that was like $14,000. But it, she didn't have to start making interest payments for a year. So what she did, I always say, you let your clients or your staff pay for your expenses. So as she brought in clients and did hair within that year, they helped pay towards paying down that credit card. So before the, the, the interest was starting to accrue or she had to pay it, she was already, the card was already paid off. So like in the case back to Chanel, so she was like, okay, if she was able to use credit to manage her expenses, and then have a set date where she can say, here's where my credit card bill is due. And all the expenses I have, I put on my credit card. And then once her membership dues come in, she uses part of that to pay off that credit card. It's a better way to manage your business. And then your money, if you're going to give yourself a salary, that you never dig into that pocket. So most businesses succeed off credit, leveraging that scenario. So you have to get into the mindset of understanding that a 30-day interest-free loan a 12-month interest free loan is a, is a tool that you have to be able to apply to your given scenario as far as growing and becoming wealthy. You know, and this is the way the rich, the billionaires, they leverage credit in order to avoid paying taxes. And that's like, I could spend the whole class and just tell you how the billionaires, when you read about the Jeff Bezos and Eli Musk not paying any taxes, I could break it down how they do it, you know, and it's perfectly legal. And it's once again, using credit to their advantage. Um, there are typically two forms of credit. I know we talked about last class, but I really want to emphasize there are loans and credit cards. So loans are more of a fixed amount that you're going to be paying back every month. Um, while credit cards, they uh, fluctuate. Can, can you repeat the part where you said billionaires 
there's avoid avoid leverage i think you said avoid paying taxes how they avoid paying minimal taxes if i went into that if i went to the left it'd be a whole conversation about how they do it but they do it from credit they do it by leveraging credit by utilizing their credit you know a long story short you know the having a relationship with banks is why we told you in the other class before opening a bank account is very important because you're going to grow that relationship over the amount of over the amount of years so um just so if you understand like tax like most people fall into different tax brackets and depending what your income is, depending on how much taxes you pay as personal income taxes. And let's just say the average person may pay about 30% in income tax. That means every hundred dollars you make, you earn $30 of it has to pay the IRS the government. But what the billionaires can do is that they can pay themselves a modest salary, very low, like Jeff Bezos, who's a trillionaire, his salary on record is only $80,000 a year. But what he does, he gets loans from the bank. And the rate that he's paying on a loan may be only like 5% interest versus paying 30% that he'd have to pay to the government as far as personal income taxes. So he'll get the the loan from the bank for millions of dollars. And as long as he pays that loan back, he's good. And he's he's not paying personal taxes. Does that make sense? And he's leveraging the stocks that he has with Amazon in order to do that. I hope I'm trying to be as quick as possible with it. I don't know if that makes sense. But in other words, He's getting a loan, and the interest rate on the loan is much lower than we'd have to pay in taxes in a nutshell. And as you go up, and the numbers just add zeros to the end, and it's that mindset you have to keep intact. You have to understand that there's always a cost to get into enter any business. There's always a tax you may have to pay, but it's a matter of how much you have to pay and how well you manage that. You know, so credit allows you the ability to do um, um, so many different things business wise. It gives you so much opportunity, like. If you have a million dollars in the bank, people have argued, what's better, a million dollars in the bank or a million dollars in credit? You know, there's arguments on both ends because a million dollars in the bank, you may have to pay taxes on it, you have to pay capital gains. The loan, the million dollar loan, you're not paying any taxes on it. And if you work it out, you're going to hopefully pay a minimal interest rate as well. You know, there's a cost to having money. Um, So revolving or installment loan. So revolving is when it's like a credit card where the amount is fluctuating every month, depending on how much you spend installment is a fixed loan so from a bank's perspective banks just look at risk and you as a business person when you look at businesses and what you want to invest and how you want to grow wealth you know sometimes you have to forget about how good the idea is and you have to really focusing on what the risk is like the young lady that says she sells bottles her risk she sells bottles of water your risk and exposure is only a two things the time and the cost of the water all right and if you can handle both those scenarios then you move forward. But let's just say, for example, the, every bottle of water costs you $5,000. Now your risk is $5,000 times 24. That's a lot of exposure. And this is where people go broke because they're not managing the risk. They're not looking at the risk and assessing the true risk of getting involved in this venture. Like if, if you getting involved in a venture is going to deplete all of your money, then you really need to think about what you're going to do. You really need to analyze. I never go all in. I'm too conservative for that. I never put all of my, even I don't care how good the deal is, I never go all in because I can't handle the worst case scenario of losing it all. Anything you invest is a potential you could lose it. And you have to, people always worry, manage it. Like when people come to me with business ideas and they come out with like how much money they can make. Like a gentleman came to my store on Saturday. He wants me to partner with him and buy in this development and develop these condos. And he keeps telling me we can make millions of dollars. The units are selling this for that. But he still never explained to me the downside, the exposure. And I like people that come to me and try to me about, talk to me about the downside versus how much money I can make. Tell me what my exposure is. Tell me what the risk is. 
And you have to be critical about that when you get into business and when you look at things that you're looking to do. Um, wealth mindset, once again, is using other people's money to work for you. Does everybody understand that? I, I always feel like I'm rushing, but please give me a thumbs up if you're really getting, if I'm getting to you about the point of using other people's money to make money. When I say other people's money, I mean the bank's money, loans, those type of things, credit. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? If you don't, please let me explain further. Yeah, I get that, but I didn't get what you meant by exposure. Like, oh, Good question. Good question. Yeah, exposure is mainly exposure is mainly the level of risk. So when let's here's an example. I'm setting up an apartment. Okay, my exposure is if I don't rent it, I don't get my money back. That's my exposure. So here's what I have to do. I have to do the floors, the walls, the kitchen, then I gotta go buy the bed, the um, you know, all the furnishings, all the utensils. Then I got to make sure there's internet and I got to make sure that utilities are in my name. Now that's going to cost about $10,000. My, that's my exposure. Then I got to hope somebody's going to be willing to stay. Yeah. So if I'm able to have an experience with this already, then I understand that people will come and they will stay. So if they don't stay, say something happens in the area and they block it off and they say, well, you can't go through this area anymore then I just lost $10,000. That's my exposure. So is the exposure like your up and downs? Your exposure is the risk and the ups and downs. So if you live in a building or a store or a block and they said, we're going to do a subway station over here, we're going to shut the street down, all the stores on that block will not get customers and their exposure to going broke has risen. And it's your responsibility, it's nobody else's responsibility to manage the exposure, to realize what the exposure, the true exposure. People are going to come at you with many different ideas, and it's not their job to tell you the risk in this world. Most people won't. Most people are just going to sell you on the upside, sell you about how much money we can make, how well it can do. But they're not going to tell you the downside to things. And it's your job to be smart enough to think about, okay, nothing is 100% proof. There's always a downside to everything. And let me try to figure out by asking the right questions. And sometimes it's best to ask like indirectly, where you're not asking them directly, because sometimes if you ask things directly, people will give you the answer that they think you want to hear. But if you're able to articulate your questions in a way that they're not understanding the direction you're going with your questions, you'll more get an honest answer. Is that making sense? Yeah, I get it. And how much can you borrow depends on your ability to pay back. It's just very simple. Like with the, um, the example I gave last week, if I borrow um, $5 from you, <clears throat> And then I asked Rachel to borrow $20 and Rachel's already heard that I haven't even paid you back that $5. The chances of Rachel lending me that money is going to be very similar. If she does, she's going to put a lot of conditions on that lending me that money. So when you think of credit and you hear people that have bad credit and their credit isn't so good, it's because they haven't been responsible or they put themselves in a situation where they weren't able to pay back and pay back on time. And if you want to have good credit, you want to do the right thing, you just got to pay on time and don't bite more than you can chew. And you know, credit is so important and it's such a game changer. And from, you know, some jobs require you to have good credit. You know, applications will ask what your credit is, applying for credit. Then, you know, the only downside to having bad credit, it, it costs you a lot more to do certain things that people that have good credit. And it, and it, and it forbids you to, to get involved in certain things. So it takes you out of the game. Does that make sense? 
Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, credit bureau versus credit score. I think we went through this last week as well. I'm just gonna repeat it really quickly. Um, there are three types, there are three main credit bureaus in the United States, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And they're all separate entities, separate businesses. They're for profit, so they're about making money. They're not, it's not a government agency. They're not there to handhold you. They're just there to report information. Um, you can think of Equifax as McDonald's, TransUnion as Burger King, and Experian as Wendy's. They do the same thing, make the same burgers, but don't work together. And all they do is collect information, true or false. I mean, sometimes it's not true, and it's for your responsibility to get it corrected. They're not micromanaging all your accounts to see that everything is accurate in your credit report. They're looking at hoping that you are reviewing your credit report on an ongoing basis to see that any discrepancies. And everybody in their lifetime is going to have something on their credit report that doesn't belong there, okay? So another important thing is every time you give somebody your social security number or your tax ID, that potentially could affect your credit, good or bad. So when people ask you, hey, can you co-sign this, um, this application for me, for this car I want to get, or this credit card I'm trying to apply, I need a co-signer. If they don't make payments, that comes back to you. And I always say my rule of thumb is I'd rather lend you the money than lend you my credit. Because once again, it gets back to what I said in the previous slide. It's about managing the downside and risk. If I lend somebody $100, the worst case scenario is I'm going to lose $100. And so for rule of thumb, I only lend what I can afford to lose. And most times, and another rule of thumb I have is that if someone asks me, whatever number somebody asks me to borrow, I cut that number in half and I make them work for the rest. So if you want to borrow $100, I'm like, I can lend you $50. If you want to borrow $50, I can lend you $25. Let them figure out the rest. You don't have to, if somebody asks to borrow, you don't have to give them the full amount. And you still are someone, you still are doing a good friend deed or a good family deed if you're going to lend them a portion of it. Um, but only lend what you can afford to lose. Don't lend more than what you can afford to lose. Um, so now your credit score is a mathematical summation of your credit report, meaning that um, companies that are looking to do business with you, lend you money and do certain things. Sometimes they don't want to go through the entire report initially. They just want to see what they want a summation, a number that can kind of give an idea of what your credit is like. And this is like for even like credit card offers. If you get them in the mail or if you get you're getting people look at what your score is, which is a mathematical calculation of your credit report. It all comes from your credit report. And this, your credit score can range from 300 to 850. I've never seen anybody with a 300 credit score. I'm sure there's somebody out there that may exist with that, but I've never seen it. And over time, if you keep doing the right thing, you eventually can become a Mr. 850. I'm not even 850. I'm like, it depends, depending. I'm always in the low eights, high, like late 700. So I'm always around 793. I've seen it go as high as 826. You know, I'm always in that range. And as I keep doing better, keep doing the same things. One day, it will reach 850, uh, hopefully. Um, so FICO, the, what it stands for is an acronym, it's Fair Isaac and Company. Okay, and Fair Isaac is a data analytics company focus on credit scoring. It was founded in 1956. And it's a, once again, it's a for-profit company. So they sell this score. They sell your credit score. They sell it to, like when I worked at American Express, we would buy, you know, we would ask for, depending on the credit card we want to provide to customers, we would ask for a certain range of customers, like anybody over 800 credit score, we want to offer them the American Express Platinum. And that's how you'd get offers in the mail. 
anybody with a 750 to 800 credit score, we want to offer you the gold credit card. And that's where you'd get those offers in the mail based on your credit score. And they sell their score to bureaus who then sell the, who then sell your scores to you. But the time we're living in now, there's a lot of webs, there's websites you can go to like freecreditreport.com, which is regulated by the government, I think about 10 years ago, where you have entitled to your credit report once a year. But they don't give you the score. They may give you, so you, on there, you have to buy the score, but at least you'll be able to see your credit report. And some, some companies created their own credit report, but the one used throughout is more the FICO score. Anybody have any questions? Okay, I'm going to randomly ask somebody. Uh, Damien, what's the difference between a credit score and a, the credit bureau and a credit score? Tell me the difference. Are you there, Damien? Damien, are you there? Okay, maybe he stepped away from What about David? Are you there? All right, can anybody help me out? Tell me the difference between credit bureau and credit score. I think someone just responded. Was that you, David? Yes, what was the question? What's the difference between credit bureau and credit score? Uh, the difference about credit and credit score. The credit score is uh, about how much money you have in your account. And the credit is the amount of money the banks approve you. Can anybody help David out? Um, credit score is like how, like, over the years, your credit score is going up and down from 300 to 850. And credit bureau is like the people providing you more information on how to build your credit score, like over time, based off your credit score. All right, let's read the definition. Read the definitions to me. Tell me what it says. Create credit reports. Right. The three main credit bureaus. Uh-huh. What are they? How do you say it? Equifax. Equifax, TransUnion. Experian. Experian. Okay. Okay. Now read the next slide. Provides detail of personal financial history. Credit bureaus are... Okay, stop there. What does that mean to you? Uh, well, basically, if your credit score is bad or good, like... No, no it didn't, 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 didn't mention the word score. It didn't mention the word score. What did it say? Let's read it again one more time. It didn't say anything about score. Credit bureaus are what? Detail of personal financial history. What does the last line say? What? What does the next line say? Credit bureaus are simply credit record keepers. So what do they do? They say anything about score? No, it just keeps record of your your credit. Correct. So what is a credit bureau? Keeping record of your credit. Right, like your report card. Yeah. Okay, so now what's the credit score? Your credit score. Yeah, now let's read the definition of credit score. FICO score. FICO, we call it FICO. A what? FICO, called FICO. FICO score, a mathematical, some, I can't really see because the word's so small. A f- summation. Mathematical summation. Sum- summation. Oop, we just... The screen just moved, so I can't really... 
Hold on, so we're gonna to get to a larger font for you. There you go. Back up, back up one. Yeah, there you go. What's summation of your credit report slash quality. quality? Okay, right. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's make it a simple term. What is a, a mathematical summation of your credit report? What does that mean? I mean uh mathematical, which is a number. Correct. Excellent. Um, and a number from your credit of your of your credit bureau, basically, like Absol like is a number that like defines the credit bureau. Correct. Exactly. So you hit the nail. So the report is is a is a personal financial history, a simple record keeper, and your credit score is just a, a number summarizing what your credit bureau tells you. Right. Yes. Make sense. Yep. Okay, so that's where you see these ranges down here, um, where most Americans fall under. Less than 5% of Americans have credit between 300 and 499%. 21% between 500 and 600. Um, most people fall in the lines between 661 and 780, which is good. And the, the Mr. 850s of the world, there's 23% have credit scores that are excellent between 781 and 850. Make sense? Yep. Everybody clear now? Well, good job, by the way. Good job. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Hey, okay. Go. go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so right now you'll see factors that uh, factors determining a credit score. Now, you know that the, the places where they store it is one thing, and the score is how they determine the information that is stored there. So your payment history, can everybody see the first one? Payment history. Do you pay on time? How many days are you late on payments? These are the two critical things that people have going either for them or against them. If you're paying on time, it's going for you. If you're paying late, it's going against you. It's very simple. Amounts owed, all right? Central utilization. I just can't, I, didn't, I can't hear you, Jeff. I think you froze up. Yeah. And so is your credit max? You spend the five. You have utilized 100% of your card. That's not hard to understand. Everybody understands that. If you have $5,000 worth of credit and you only use 500, now you've only used a small uh, percentage of your credit ratio because you have a credit thing of 5,000 instead of 500. So how much you do you owe is always gonna be something that people look at. Anything over 30% really favors, doesn't favor you if you're looking to get a house or a car. They, look, they don't look kindly on you having too much debt out there or maxing out your credit. Now, the next one is um, the length of credit history. Everybody see the length of credit history, all right? And that's 15% of your score. How long 
has been you how long you have been using your credit. So when you go out at 18, 17, 16, you start with a credit card, but you don't use it, but you still have started your credit history at that time. That point will never change. If you once you start your history and you hold on to that card, that history always benefits you in the long run because it shows that you were able to have a card and you didn't um, abuse it as you went along. And that's a 15 percentage of your score. The next one, okay, this is 10 percent. It's called credit mix. Credit mix. Can somebody tell me what a credit mix is? Anybody here can give me an idea of what credit mix is? All right, I'll, I'll start it off with just a couple of ideas. Okay, somebody came in and he said, somebody quoted on credit mix? I said car payments. That's one type of payment. What other kind of payment would be credit mix? So you, you're starting out, right? Each of you are starting out in life. You get a credit card. You say, hey, I'm going to go to college, but you can't afford to pay the full bill. You go get a loan. Now you have a credit with a, with a student loan. Next thing you know, you meet the girl you love and you want to buy a house. Now you have a mortgage, you see? So now you have a mixture of credit. You have a car loan, you have a mortgage, and you got student loan debt. Credit companies like to see a mix and how you handle the mix. Eventually, the best way to handle the mix is to keep it low that you can pay it off. That's the best way to have it. So then, once you paid it off, then you look more favorable to credit card companies because they see that you've handled the credit, you know, in a positive, positive and responsible way. You've got a question in, in the chat asking about how many loans you could take out or how many loans should you take out from Mike? Well, that depends on how many loans you can pay back. You see, so I can't tell you only take out one loan. If you have a business and that business handles that loan, it's like the guy who, if you ever watch these guys on TV and they spin a plate and then they take a stick and they spin another plate, they take a stick and spin another plate, they're just spinning plates. As long as they can spin the plates, then they're fine. A loan is the same way. As long as you can spin that loan and that loan gets paid back, not by you, but by your customers, you can go out and get another loan and do the same thing. In real estate, you know, people do that all the time. They go buy one house, that house now makes money. They refinance the house with a second loan, go buy another house. They fix that house up until it has a tenant, and then they refinance, take the money, and go buy another house. And they keep doing that until they make a pile of money, but they have to be responsible with paying it back. Now, the last one is, Recent inquiries, which is new credit. So it's hard inquiries versus soft inquiries. Can anybody tell me the difference between hard and soft inquiries? How deep into your credit they go? There you go. There you go. You hit it right on the head. Also, anybody else? So... A hard inquiry will show up on your credit score and it will be a, a little, it's not a big negative, but it is a negative. A soft inquiry does not show up on your credit score. So if you are going to buy a house, 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And you want to, if they, they're saying they're going to pull your credit, the first question you're going to say is, is this a hard inquiry or a soft inquiry? Because you don't want anything to uh, make your score go lower. If they tell you it's a soft inquiry, in most cases it is because, you know, they, they understand that a lot of people are trying to save and get the best rate, then it's fine. So hard inquiries, soft inquiries. One goes. Okay. Yes, let, me just, let me just go a little further into that. Also, uh, you've got a question in the chat just to highlight. It's a, a, asking, what if you take out a loan, but something happens and you can't pay it back? Just want to add that in. Let me just say a couple of things. I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question directly. Um, Jeff Gravy, in a great description of all the factors determining your credit score, favorable or negative. Um, credit makes, like he was saying, you got to understand things from a lender's, from a bank's perspective. Banks can be a great partner to have if you understand how they think. Okay, banks take on minimal risk. They don't want exposure. They're not trying to, like, if you tell them how great your business idea is, what you can do, you, you're creating the new wheel or the new computer or the new Instagram. They're not concerned. What they're most concerned about is if they're going to get their money back and if they're going to make money off the money that they lend you. And even when it comes to credit cards and when it comes to loans, they're assessing you to see how, what the chances are you're going to pay this back. So when you're young, unfortunately, you don't have enough, what, um, length of credit history. So it's going to work against you with your young that you're not going to be able to get maybe favorable loans. This may you may need a co-signer until you start establishing credit. You know, no credit is not good credit. No credit is no credit. So you have to understand that the more you keep doing the right things, the bank looks at you as somebody that, okay, we can do business with this person because they paid on time. They keep their utilization rate. Old. They're not trying to bite more than they can eat. They're managing their bills. They're paying their credit cards on time. They've done a number of different types of loans from a student loan to mortgages to credit cards and all those are paid in a reasonable amount of time. So, Hey, this is somebody we can do business with. And it happens with me all the time. You know, like where people look at my credit, the first question they ask, what's your credit score? Once I tell them my score and Jeff, it gives them an opportunity. Okay, let's sit down and talk business. If I had a very low credit score, I wouldn't be able to get the same opportunities that I do now because they're saying, well, this is a person that 
he may screw us over and not pay us back the money. And that's all banks care about. Banks borrow money from you and I, and they lend it out to you and I. Okay. Um, and I just want to a little, give a little more explanation about a hard and soft inquiry. So a hard inquiry is defined as if you put your tax ID down somewhere and you go somewhere, you're applying for a mortgage, you're applying for a loan, and you put your tax ID down, and they say they're going to run your credit. That is a hard inquiry. A soft inquiry is that like we buy lists from credit bureaus. Like for example, when you get credit card offers in the mail, when you get certain offers for loans, CADA loans, and you had nothing to do with it. You just saw this offer in the mail and it was sent to you. More than likely, they pulled your credit report and that's called a soft inquiry where you had nothing to do with it. So therefore it doesn't affect your score. Somebody pulled your credit and you'll see when you pull your credit report, it'll have, it'll list the soft inquiries, people that credit card companies or banks that, um, pulled up your credit just to see if they want to engage you and send you an offer. All right. So yes, you can worry about how many times you pull your credit report. You should manage it. And I always say when it comes to even doing deals, you talk through the deal first, you should be able to know what your credit score is. Like if I'm getting a mortgage or getting a loan, I'll go into a bank and I'll tell them I have an 800 credit score. What can you do for me? And once, and then I'll speak to multiple of banks. And then the last thing I do one time is, okay, this is a bank I want to do business with. Then I'll say, I'll pull my credit report. I never really just openly tell people to pull my credit report. Not until they're willing to engage. And I see, and I see that they can, they, there's a deal that I think is worth getting. And that goes with any business. You know, you put your, put your cards on the table. You tell them what the scenario is, what your scenario is, what your likelihood is, and see what they can offer you. And see what they All can right. offer All right. And Sean, we have some questions here. What if you take out a loan, but then something happens, then you can't pay it back? There's no sympathy in this game. Your credit score is going to be affected, period, point blank. Like I had a gentleman that came to me about, you know, buy, partner with him to, to, he has some real estate that he's, a, he's, a, he's acquired from his parents. And unfortunately, his, his dad passed away. And he was like, you know, he missed some payments because he was sick with COVID. The bank doesn't care. You know, they're looking. So you have to be, you have, and you know, what I always say is be proactive. If you know you can't make a payment and you see the time coming close, you can call the bank, you can call in and say, hey, I have a payment coming up. I don't think I'll be going to be able to make it. And they may be able to work something out with you where they'll say, okay, well, this month we're going to allow you to make a partial payment or this month, you know, you could do X, Y, and Z. They more welcome that call versus you just simply not making the payment. And sometimes most lending facilities will work with you if it's a one-at-time situation, like, you know, loss of, like he said, he had COVID. If he called them before and said, hey, I'm very sick right now. I'm not sure if I can make this payment. Is there something we can do? They may give you something that they can do and work with you. And that way you can safeguard your credit score. You know, in, in business and life, things happen that we don't account for. And you got to be able to manage those situations. All right. Any other questions? There's another question. It's- is paying the credit, paying with credit, basically borrowing money from the bank? Yes, it is. Absolutely. But that window of when you have to pay it back is your window of opportunity. Is your window to say, hey, I can leverage this credit and make something with it. You know, I don't know if I gave you guys, I, mean, I don't think I gave you guys a dollar store scenario, but I had a student when I was teaching at Jefferson that would go and um, go to the dollar store, take pictures of items in a dollar store and then put them up for sale on eBay. And then once she got somebody that wanted to buy it, she would then go with her credit card, buy it at eBay and ship it out. 
And by the time that credit card bill came due, she had already received her money from eBay to pay off that card. And the difference was hers. So was she, how much of her own money was she using to run that business? The answer is nothing. She was doing everything through leveraging her credit in order to do so. And her inventory was a dollar store. <coughs> is that making sense? Okay, let's go to the next slide. Jeff, you want to take it? Go ahead. Okay, so you got here the difference between credit scores. So as Sean mentions all the time, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, they're like Wendy's, McDonald's, and Burger King. All right, they're not the same company. They're each separate places that formulate their own recipe for, for credit scores. Okay, scores can vary between the credit bureaus because of the underlying data they receive. So if these three scores do not receive all of your data at the same time, the scores could be different. If these three can receive all their scores and they formulate it a little differently, then the scores would be different, as you can see by this scenario here. While the creditors are responsible for continuously updating these agencies on the details of your payments, they may not report to the same agencies at the same time. Having credit lines under different names could also lead to differences. Sometimes the credit bureaus will make you make an outright mistake. So in that case, you would file a dispute. So that is one of the reasons Sean mentioned and I would also mention you should always look at your score, you know, periodically to make sure that there were not any mistakes filed on it. And if so, you can, you know, you can file a, a dispute with them to get it corrected because, you know, a lot of people sometimes with, with names that a lot of people have, and for some reason they might make a mistake and mix you up with someone. Anyway, now, so, we see we have one score, 717, experience score, 706, and Equifax, 717. Let me just add something to what Jeff was saying. I'll let you continue, Jeff. So what he was saying is that what happens with these credit bureaus, remember, there are three different credit bureaus, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King. They're getting feed. So every, every transaction you do that is tied to your tax ID, banks, Anybody that lends you money, has anything to do with lending money, is required by law to report this to, the, to these three bureaus. And they all receive this information at different times throughout the month, which then changes your score. That means can be, can be a difference in scores because if TransUnion gets the feed from your Chase credit card at the beginning of May, while Experian gets it in the middle of May and Equifax gets it at the end of May, that's going to affect your score. So you're going to see differences in scores because of when the feed is coming to them. But I will say this, if you notice a huge discrepancy, say, for example, with TransUnion, your credit score is 750. With Experience, your credit score is 745. But with Equifax, you have a 500 credit score. You know, what is the story telling you? What are the numbers telling you? What they're telling you is that some Equifax probably is reporting something erroneous in your credit report. Okay? There's something going on there that your score at Equifax is 500. And TransUnion, it's 750. And this is very, very common. So it's your job then to then, what the last line says is call the credit bureau that has the error and correct it. You know, companies charge to do this, to do something that you could easily do with just getting on the phone, 
saying and providing the proof. Like I don't have an Old Navy credit card. I never did, never had one. And I have a record from Old Navy saying that I don't have a card. Can I email it to you and show you that Old Navy sent me a letter saying that we don't have any record of having a credit card with you? You'll send that to Equifax. Equifax will cross-check it. And it's like, oh, we apologize. You're right. And they'll adjust it, take it out of your credit report to bring your score back up. So you have to, once I said, like I said earlier, manage your own credit report and be on top of it. And don't wait to apply for a loan, apply for a student loan, apply for a mortgage to then run your credit. You need to be proactive and know what it is. No surprises. So that when you sit down in front of a loan officer, you sit down ready to talk business, you, you already know what your situation is. And that's with any type of business thing. You should already know your business. That's one thing. A, a One of my, you know, a boss that I had at American Express, he'd always say to me, yeah, know your business. Nobody has to know your business better than you. You have to know your credit score. You have to know your credit report. You have to know the direction you want to take yourself in life. Know your business. People can assist. They can give you advice. Like back to the guy that came to my store that wanted to partner with me. He had no clue. I'm like, okay, the definition of partner, you're going to have to give up something. He had no clue what he was willing to give up. He had no clue what kind of deal he was willing to make. And I had to explain to him, as you, know, you have to come into these meetings knowing what you want to give up, knowing what you want to deal with, understanding what a partnership looks like. You can't come to me saying you want to do something, but you have no understanding of what you're trying to do. You know, you have to take responsibility as far as driving yourself forward. You are a business, driving your business forward, driving what you want to do for it, and be able to articulate it and explain it in a way that people feel confident in you. Like, I'm not even thinking about the buildings he owns and the opportunity to build. I'm thinking about him. How could I work with him as a partner? What is he going to bring to the table? Is he somebody I think that we can be successful? Because you're only successful as a person that you're working with. And if that person has no clue what they're doing, you could have been the one to thought of Facebook, Instagram. You could have been the one to thought of Coca-Cola. If they don't know how to execute, you're not going to have a successful business. Um, sorry, Jeff. I'll let you continue. I also just want to chime in because we've got about five minutes left. <laughs> so okay. I just put that out okay. there. Yeah. So, you know, I think you summed it up well, Sean. So we can go to the, does everybody understand showing these different scores that these scores are just based on the information they receive and how they formulate those scores. So, you know, um, all right. So let's go to the next slide. Is that okay, Sean? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so cash versus credit. Why use cash or credit? What are the differences? All right, so um, students, I'm going to let you guys answer this. We have five minutes, and let's try to dig deep into this, all right? And no, no answer is a wrong answer. This is a personal thing right now, all right? So I just want you guys to chime in and look at credit cards or short-term financing. Bear... Okay, they bear compounding interest starting next billing cycle at 30 days. Credit line, credit limits based on your credit score and annual fee versus no fee. Okay, cashback bonuses, rewards points, purchase protection, and other benefits. When should you not use a credit card? So does anybody here understand the benefits and the drawbacks of cash versus credit? Can anybody give me one example of the benefit of credit versus cash?
Um, I'll say the difference between cash and credit is that like with credit card is more documented. Like is a you you have a payment history with it. Sometimes with cash, if you don't pay if you don't like keep your receipts, then it could Me be like a, a on and off thing with like there's no tracking of what you're buying. Excellent point. Excellent I like, point. I like, I like exactly what you said. When you say tracking, okay, and this is what gets you into the game of managing and establishing credit. Because if you're tracking, if somebody is tracking your payment history, how likely, like you said, tr- cash, you can't track it. But if with credit, you can. So if you're doing everything right, you're doing everything good, that shows on paper you're somebody that's good to do business with. So one of the advantages of having credit, it establishes establishing good credit history. And that's really what you're saying, establishing good credit history. And then also making a dollar work for you in three different ways. Okay. And how can a dollar, how can credit allow you to work, make a dollar work for you three different ways? And I'll give you a hint. It's on this slide. It adds value to your credit score. It's on this slide. It's right there with a picture. Uh Oh, Rachel's pointing for you. It gains rewards. Or increase credit score. Exactly. So relationship building, you gain rewards. And what does gaining rewards allow you to do things for free, right? You still get the, so with credit, you get, you purchase the item like you do with cash. Cash only gives you money can work only in one way. And if you're a real quote unquote hustler or business person, you want to make sure your money is working as many ways as possible. So when you just pay someone with cash, all you get is that item. That's it. Okay. I bought, I bought a, you know, $10, bag of chips well well that's not realistic but you know what i'm saying i bought a hundred dollar pair of shoes and all i get back is those hundred dollar pair of shoes okay but if i buy it on credit like okay i just went to the nike store with my kids a few weeks ago and i put it on credit and i became a nike member officially i got like 20 percent discount right away um my american express credit card gives a five percent cash back on nike and i got the items and i gained these nike reward points to go towards purchasing other items now, had I walked into the Nike store and just bought the $100 sneakers with cash, all I got were the shoes. But instead, those sneakers cost me about $70 versus $100. And I, aimed, and I gained some points on both my credit card and with Nike that I can use towards future, future purchases. Does that make sense? Yep. So cash is dead. RIP, cash. Okay. As long as you can pay back that bill. As long as you can pay back that bill. Thank you, Rachel. See, all of you guys will be paying your bills back because you're financially clean. Any more questions? Me and Sean are going to be very crazy. (laughs) That's the hope. That's the hope. Anybody, any other questions? And I always say, you know, you should try to establish credit as early as possible. Um, As long as you're responsible. What if you gave somebody money and like, no, somebody gave you money, but there was no, it was a verbal agreement rather than um, like on document agreement. What's the difference with that? Well, that's more of a legal matter. You didn't really, you know, this is not a course on legal, Ali, but at the end of the day, you know, a verbal contract is just as good as a written contract, but both parties have to admit to the verbal contract, which is harder to prove than it is a written contract. So I would say, once again, Getting back to risk, if you're going to lend somebody money and you can't afford to lose that money, then you need to put together some kind of contract and only only lend what you can afford to lose. 
Mm. You've got a question in the chat too. Should you pay the full balance of your credit card before the billing cycle? Okay. Can somebody help me answer that? Okay. Let me answer that question for you. It's called stretching your payments. And this is good practice as you get older and you get deeper with numbers in business. I tend to stretch my payments. And basically what that means, and it's good business practice, is that you pay it on the last possible day. Because what it does, it frees up your money to do other things. And it's, it, keeps, it conditions you so that you know, okay, I can tell you when all my credit card payments are due, when my mortgages are due, I can tell you every single payment due. And you try to pay them on that day to manage your bills, to manage your cash flow. And success in life is all about your cash flow, how well you manage it. So you giving your credit card, your payment 14 days advance does not help your credit score. They're not looking at you saying like, oh, golly gee, Jilly Gal, that she paid it 14 days in advance. Oh, we're going to bump her credit score. All they want to do is get it paid on or before that date. So, but if you know you have the tendency to be slack and not be responsible, then I would say, yes, pay it a little bit earlier. But you should get into the practice of what we call stretching your payables. Because it gives you more access to cash. It gives you more access to do things and grow your, your self-worth in your business. Like, for example, um, the first deal I did, the first piece of real estate I bought, I paid $80,000 for a property in early 2000s. And I sold it within a few months for $160,000. So I made my first $80,000. First time I had six figures in the bank. I was so proud of myself. When I said, let me do the responsible thing. And I um, paid off my student loan at that time. And I did the irresponsible thing and I bought a Mercedes truck because I didn't take financially clean. I didn't know that at this point, right? Two big mistakes. Everybody think, oh, you paid off your student loan. That was a great thing. And I remember going into the bank, walking in the bank with that check ready to pay off my student loan. I thought balloons would fall down, confetti would fall down. People would be giving me a big hug and be like, you did it, you did it, you did it. Nobody cared. The world didn't change. Life kept moving forward. And now why do I say I regret paying off my student loan? Because the interest rate on that loan was like less than 1%. It was like minimal. It was like almost like free money. At that time, I could have used that $29,000 that I paid off my student loan and bought another building, invested it where the investment was paying me maybe 10% every month. And I only owed 1%. So every month I would make money off that money versus just, and that's the thing you have to think strategically. You only have X amount of marbles. You only have X amount of slices of pizza and it's how wisely you use those, Right. And buying the car, I, don't, I hope you know why that was a horrible thing. A car is a depreciating asset. It has no value for the most part. By the time I bought, even when I went to the dealership, the guy looked like me, I was crazy. And I was just like, listen, bro, I, don't tell me I'm buying this car. He even looked like, nobody does that. I went in there with a check, paid it all off cash, and then, and then wind up selling that car pennies on the dollars when it was done with it. I could have done something. I could have bought two more buildings. I'd, I'd be that much further ahead in life. So you have to make manage those decisions and look at like, some people would rather have money in the bank and pay 19% on a credit card every month, which to me, you can have a reserve, but the bank doesn't pay you 19% in interest to hold the money in the bank. So why are you not going to use it to pay down on a high interest debt? You're losing. And even when I was reading now, inflation is going so fast right now and it's accumulating so fast. Like not investing your money right now is actually going to make you lose money in the long run because the, the, the value, the dollar value is deflating so much that it's not, you're not, the money, the, the interest that you're earning in the bank is not keeping up with inflation. So they're telling you right now, the best time you should be investing now more than any other time because of the rate of inflation right now. You keeping your money in the bank is actually losing you money right now. So how do you make, well... Aren't you the water lady? The bank uses people money to kind of 
Let Sometimes money. the money that you keep, it keeps it revolving. Like that's what I know. Aren't you the lady that sells water? Most deaf. Okay, so you just you just invested in yourself, right? So grow mm-hmm. your water business, grow your business, figure out ways in which you can go deeper with what you're doing. Don't just be don't just be happy with the two thousand that you've made. Think how can I go deeper with? Where is the opportunities lie? How can I invest in me? Do I need to educate myself more? Do I need to take certain courses or other opportunities business wise? But you want to you want to push yourself. A student you know, account. Bro. You should never. I never. You should never be satisfied. You should always be pushing yourself, digging deeper, asking more questions, finding out how I can tr- make this water business into a business that works for itself. Can I give a uh, student account? What's the difference from a student account and a, and a credit? Um, well, a student uh, account, usually they incent you and banks and banks theory is they want to get you in as early as possible. Because even myself, we tend to marry a bank rather than date a bank. So they know that once the earlier they can sign you up and open an account with you, the likelihood that you're going to stick with them throughout your lifetime. So they'll give you a student account. will give you a lot of incentives where they won't charge you any bank fees. They won't charge you any fees to open the account. It'll basically be a free account while you're a student. While a uh, credit card is, you know, a lending tool. They use to put things on and pay it off in a timely manner. So that was a smart move, no? A student account? Absolutely. Like everybody should be banked. We don't want to, that's a problem in our community where, where a lot of unbanked people. So everybody should be banked. Especially if you're just here in this class, everybody should have a bank account. Everybody should have some form of account with a debit card. What are some banks that you recommend? Well, it's a personal choice, just like credit cards. You know, as a young person, I would say one of the most important things you want accessibility and limited fees. And even I think you're saying in the last class, maybe you don't even need accessibility because you guys are more of a, you guys don't usually carry around cash. My son never has cash on him. He always has cards. He always Apple Pay and this pay and credit, this debit card pay. So you, you know, I think five years ago, I'd be like, get somewhere with a lot of ATMs, but you may not need ATMs as much. So you may just want something where minimal fees. And um, I think that would be my biggest concern if I were you. Any other questions? I know we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to all have to come back here on Wednesday and get more financially clean. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Next class, we're going to go through actual credit reports, take you guys through it to make sure everybody understands it. Um, but once again, thank you guys for listening in. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Um, but there is a question in the chat. If you don't have a social, a social security card, could you still open a student bank account? No, you need a tax ID. I mean, if you don't have a tax ID, then you need to go down to the social security department and get your tax ID. You need to have a tax ID. Tax ID is your identifier. Something you need to be in the game. You need to have a tax ID. That identifies you. You're not identified by your name. You're identified by your tax ID. Your name is second to your tax ID. There's more than, as my mom would say, there's more than one dog named Bob. So (laughs) you're like, but your tax ID is unique to you. It's called a unique identifier. It's unique to you and you only. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, banks can't do business with you. We just use your name because there's more than one dog named Bob. Oh, mom. <laughs> all right, team. We'll see you all again on Wednesday. Can we possibly go over options for undocumented students in another class? Yeah. Okay, we can we can do that. That's a whole different conversation. See you on Wednesday. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, everybody. Have a great day, everybody. Get home safe. Have a good day. Great session today.